0: This is our sixth study in the book of Genesis entitled, of Galatians, another G book, by the way. Uh, This is our sixth study in the book of Galatians entitled Bewitched by False Doctrine. Because Paul uses this word twice, that they were bewitched. And we'll talk about what that means. This um, This is because the church in the region of Galatia had been brought the gospel. Right away from Paul's missionary journey with Barnabas, they went up through Galatia and they began planting churches. And in their second missionary journey, they planted more churches in the region of Galatia. But right away, a false doctrine cropped up early on in the church. As soon as the church started to spread, false doctrine began to follow it. And the false doctrine was illegalism. It was, you have to keep the law. If you're a Gentile, you have to become Jewish in order to genuinely be saved. And I'm really glad that this false teaching was there. They might not have been so glad because they had to deal with it. They had to deal with it severely. But I'm glad that it was there. And I think this is by God's design. It's interesting that God would even use false doctrine for his own purposes. And I wonder if God might not be doing that today, that God allows certain false doctrines because when we combat it, we learn some really strong principles. And so out of this legalism argument later on, when he's writing the book of Ephesians, which is a, lot, is a lot later than the book of Galatians. Galatians is one of the first books in the New Testament to be written. Ephesians was much later, but he would say in Ephesians, we are saved by f- grace through faith, not of any works, lest anyone should boast. It's like he boiled everything down into one statement that that's all we needed. We're saved by undeserved favor. By faith, we put our trust in him by faith, not of any works because works causes pride and it causes us to boast. So this text, like all the other texts that we've covered so far in Galatians, Paul is upset, he's agitated as he writes it. You can tell. And Paul doesn't generally, generally, generally call people names when he's writing a letter. It's one of the first things that you learn about preaching. And one of the things that you can identify with young preachers is that they'll insult the people that they're preaching to. Sometimes the Holy Spirit may may want you to do that, but generally it's an ineffective way to reach people. You don't want to insult the people that you're you're preaching to. If you want to bring correction, and I think there's a biblical stance for this, you want to do it gently. The Bible says if anybody is in opposition, then you who are spiritual, go to them gently and restore them and and correct them. And I think that correction from the pulpit ought to be gentle. And there's a time maybe when the Holy Spirit would move otherwise. And I think that's the case here with Paul. You just look at the first sentence in chapter three as he turns down to the theological aspect. He says, oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? You can just tell He's upset. He's upset because he brought the gospel to them. They genuinely were saved. They received the Holy Spirit. In the early church, God gave them signs because they didn't have the completed word of God. It was being completed. He gave them signs and wonders to show them that he was truly among them. They had seen these things. This word for foolish here is a strong word. It's so strong that some translations say, oh, you idiots. That's how some translations translate. Uh, Oh, oh, foolish Galatians. Oh, you idiots. It's a a strong word. Uh, And then he says, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth. The truth is the issue. We don't want to follow false teaching. We want to have the truth. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth and he is behind all truth. And so he gives us the inspired word of God and he gives us true doctrine. And when we talk about false doctrine, we're not talking about where you and I might have slight differences, where we might look at one text and go, you know, let's just take the example of of who are the official 12 apostles now. Judas is gone, so there's got to be a replacement for Judas. Some people believe that is Matthias that was chosen by Lot before the Holy Spirit was given. In other words, they kind of cast, die or a Lot to choose Matthias. So some people believe that when New Jerusalem comes down you've got the 12 foundations and written on the 12 foundations is the names of the 12 apostles, some people believe that Matthias' name will be on there. Other people believe it's Paul's name that will be on there, that Paul was the replacement for Judas. Uh, There's no way for us to know. But one person's right and one person's wrong. That's not false doctrine. There there are things that don't really matter. There are things that that I don't want to say are unimportant, or that you shouldn't, you know, What I have an opinion on it. I think it's Paul. I think Paul is the one who was chosen. If I'm wrong, does that make that false doctrine? Not in the sense that we're looking at it in scripture. It simply makes me wrong. False doctrine is something that is taught that is so grievous that it affects people's salvation. It's something that is taught that is so grievous that it affects something that is extremely important. When some, if someone were to say, Jesus didn't rise from the dead, false doctrine. The Bible says you must believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that God raised him from the dead in order to be saved. You've got to believe that. So that's false doctrine. And there's the progressive Christianity today that is divided within progressive Christianity. There are those that believe in the resurrection and those who don't. That would be a false doctrine. So it's a severe thing to say you're saved by the law. You've got to keep the law in order to be saved is a false doctrine because now it's dealing with the very salvation issues. So I just wanted to cover that a little bit because... Every once in a while, you'll hear people call somebody a false teacher because of something that they believe that is what I call in-house discussions. There are certain things that we believe one way or another because the Bible's not 100% clear for us to be able to make a stand. Those aren't false teachings. Those are just differences. The Bible even says there are differences among us that the truth may be known. In other words, if you go, well, I think it was Matthias. I think Pastor Robert's wrong. Then you dive into your Bible. I like when there's a conflict, as long as it's respectful about a topic within the church because it helps us to dive in. It makes us figure it out. Is this true or not? What do I believe about this? I think God uses it as a good thing. These Galatians were believing something that was a total and complete false doctrine. And so he says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth Before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified. By by living, by believing that they had to keep the law, by becoming Jewish, by some of them being circumcised, by some of them, them now teaching that you had to be under the law, they were denying the power of the crucifixion. And not only did Paul teach it, but Barnabas taught it. And whoever else was there in the region of the Galatians that was teaching them that Jesus died on the cross and on his death, finished the work of the law. He fulfilled it. There is no longer a need for bulls and goats to cover our sin. Remember when the book of Galatians was written, it was still 20 years from the temple being destroyed. And so people could go to the temple and make sacrifices and they were doing that and they were making Gentiles convert and become, uh, become Jewish in order to do that. And so he says he was clearly taught among you. Now, let's consider just a couple of things. He calls them foolish and he calls them bewitched. Let's consider those two words. First of all, foolish. When you rece- accept false teaching, when you have, is- accept false doctrine, you are foolish when you do it. Why is that foolish? Foolish because we have been given the word of God. Especially in our day, Paul was making mention of the Old Testament that they could dive into. But when they were receiving this false teaching, they were being foolish. A couple of verses the Bible tells us about foolishness. This is in Proverbs. Proverbs eighteen two says, a fool has no delight in understanding, but in expressing his own heart. One of the reasons that you might get caught up in false doctrine, is because you just want to look to your heart. And so people will often say, I just feel like that should be right. We talk about the role of women in the church. Well, I just feel like that should be right. Why do you feel that way? Because it's part of our culture? Because it's right or wrong. But we can't look at our hearts. We have to look at the truth of what the scriptures say. By the way, I would consider myself, I would consider us at Calvary to be... um, to not be extreme complimentary We believe that women have leadership roles. We believe that there are certain leadership roles that women can't be in. So are you making your decision on what you believe about the roles of women in church based on the way you feel? Well, that would be what they were doing. So they were being foolish because they were trusting their heart. Another example of this, that was Proverbs 28, 6. Another example is Proverbs ten fourteen. Wise people store up knowledge. When you're wise, you take knowledge in, you learn, you store it up. But the mouth of the foolish is near to destruction. Let me give you um, Proverbs 28, 26 as well. He who trusts in his own heart is a fool, but whoever walks wisely will be delivered. In other words, you should never test false doctrine by how you, or doctrine by how you feel about it. You should never go, You know, I heard a message from this person and it was a good message and I was really blessed by it. So I don't think they could teach false doctrine. You should never say, I feel like that's right. So it's not false doctrine. That would be foolish. And so Paul just calls them foolish because of the way that they received it. Whatever they did, they didn't evaluate it in a wise way. They were foolish in evaluating it. And we should be wise in the way that we evaluate every doctrine. Listen, especially now, especially if it's new. Whenever someone gets up to teach, and I've had this happen over the course of being a Christian, being a Christian since I was 14 years old, I've had people come up and say, I've got something you've probably never heard before. And we always, if ever we hear that, we should go, huh? Paul said, if anybody brings you anything new, other than what we've already brought you, let them be accursed. So you'll never hear me say, I was praying last night. God gave me a new vision. You might hear me say, I discovered something in the scriptures that I want to share with you. That's completely different. But when you're coming with something new that's not in the Bible, then you can identify that as false teaching. This is why we can identify Mormonism as false teaching. In the very beginning, Joseph Smith said, Christianity is anathema. And I had this visitation from this this angel who gave me golden tablets that I translated. And then he gave the other books that they have, Pearl of Great Price and Doctrine and Covenants that they have for it. Today, they are on a rebranding campaign to make themselves Christian. They don't want to be called Mormons anymore. They want to be called the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And they will say to you when they come to your door, we are just like you. But they have something new and it ought to be rejected wholeheartedly. And you ought to know that they're on that campaign, that they're trying to rebrand. Business is rebrand. But I don't know that you could come with something entirely new and say, you know, Elohim is flesh and blood just like us. Elohim has heavenly wives that he has sex with and makes spirit babies. And one of those wives is heavenly mother. You start hearing that and, and immediately you go, that doesn't sound like the Bible. But when they come to your door... They'll come to your door and tell you things like, we're saved. We believe Jesus died for our sins. We believe that God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all God. They believe that Jesus became God. They believe that God, Elohim, the Father, became God. They believe the Holy Spirit became God. We believe he is one. Hear, O Israel, right? Deuteronomy 4, 6, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one God. They believe they became God. And they also believe you can progress and become God as well. So as an example, that's all I'm doing now, this is an example. As an example, we would would reject that. Even though we might say from our hearts, I know Mormon families and they're great families. They're great people. Branch of my family comes out of Mormonism. My late wife, Lisa, grew up Mormon, became a Christian, surrendered her life to Christ. I, before I, before, Lisa, I dated a Mormon and her family. I even went to the Mormon church with them. Yeah, they're great people. Our heart might say, well, they're, they're nice people. It hasn't always been that case in history, by the way. We could bring up some things that aren't so nice. But yeah, for in general, they're great people. But we don't follow our heart. We follow the word of God as an example of how we might be foolish if we turn to our heart. All right, so the, uh, uh, the second thing that we see is this word bewitched which is an interesting word. Um, I looked it up in 28 different versions today to see how many of them translated it bewitched. Because <coughs> I don't know Greek. So I'm like, what exactly does the word bewitched mean? I know what it means to me that a witch put a spell on you. That's what it means to me, bewitched. Oh, you were bewitched by someone. If we used it in a generic term, disconnected from a witch, it would mean that somebody tricked you, that somebody you know, put a con on you and you were bewitched by them. You were fooled by them. Well, the word literally in the Greek means an evil eye. Who, who gave you an evil eye? And I'm not quite sure in their culture, I spent way too much time today on that this one word, trying to figure it out because it kind of got to me. I was like, what exactly is this word? So all but two of them use one of two terms, 28 different versions. The majority say bewitched. Then a few of them say, put a spell on, O foolish Galatians, who put a spell on you that you would reject the truth? So that gives us an idea of what we're talking about. I believe it is connected to the demonic inspiration behind false doctrine. If there's no other reason for us to reject false doctrine, it's that it is a demonic spirit inspired where the scriptures and true doctrine is the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth, inspiring God's word. False doctrine is a demonic uh, work. And you might say, well, what if it's just somebody's idea? I think if it's somebody's idea, if it has to do with salvation, this is the battleground. When we put on our armor to fight in Ephesians, right? We prepare our feet with the gospel. That's the battle, the gospel of Jesus. We put on the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth. So, us, so we can effectively fight it. The shield of faith and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, which is the truth. And we stand on God's word and we seek for the truth and we don't want to be deceived. It's the battle. In fact, listen to what First Timothy 4, 1 says about the last days. And remember, there's a way in which we've been living in the last days since Pentecost. Since 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus, uh, Joel said, in the last days, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh And so we are in the last days, meaning this dispensation that we're living in is the last one before Jesus returns. And so here's what it says in 1 Timothy 4, 1. Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and the doctrines of demons. So near the end, we know that deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons will be around. So if you are believing a false doctrine, if you've chosen to say, I think this is right. I know the Bible says this, but this is what I feel in my heart. Then you are under a deceiving spirit. You are following a doctrine of demons. And I believe we're living in the last days. In John 8, Jesus calls Satan the father of lies. He's the father of lies. Listen to what he says about Satan. Uh, John eight forty four. You are of your father, the devil. He tells the scribes and Pharisees. <laughs> you are of your father, the devil, and the desire of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. While he, when, when he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources for he is a liar and the father of it. And so the lies that are taught about the gospel, about salvation, about the church are demonically inspired. Now, we dealt with the end of the age when there's demonic forces who are deceiving. Let's go back to the first time you find a false doctrine taught in the Bible. There's something called the principle of the first appearance. This is the first time you ever find it in the Bible. It has some significance to it. And we go all the way back to Genesis chapter three. And Eve is being deceived by the enemy, by Satan. The word Satan means opposer. The word devil means accuser. So he opposes us and he accuses us. And he says to her, can you eat, can you not eat from any of these trees in the garden? And and God had said, you can eat freely from them all. And so Eve says, well, God said we can eat from any of them, but we can't eat of the tree in the middle of the garden. And if we eat of that tree, then then we might die. And then Satan says, you surely shall not die. That's a false teaching. Way back in Genesis chapter three, the first teaching comes on the scene. You eat of this fruit, you won't die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, you will be like him knowing good from evil. Satan wanted to be like God, that's why he fell. And so he teaches this false doctrine way back in Genesis chapter three. And I think you can go from 1 Timothy 4.1 was it first or second? Whichever one it was. First Timothy 4, 1. And you can go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. And every false doctrine in between has a demonic spirit that is behind that false doctrine. In uh, Jesus's temptation, when Jesus is tempted by the devil again, the devil gives Jesus false doctrine. He says to him in Luke 4:19, 9 through 11. Luke 4, 9 through 11. Then he brought him to Jerusalem, sat him on the pinnacle in the temple and said to him, If you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written. Here's the false gospel or the false doctrine. He shall give his angels charge over you to keep you. And in their hands, he shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Now he quotes the Old Testament. You say, does Satan know the Bible? Can Satan quote the Bible? Yes, but he can misquote the Bible as well, which he does here. And that's what happens with false doctrine. Just because someone quotes the Bible, you say, well, I heard him quote the Bible. It must be true. Were they handling it well? Did they conveniently leave something out? So what does the Old Testament passage say? It says something like this. He shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. That's what Satan left out. To keep you in all your ways. In their hands, they shall bear you up lest you dash your foot against the stone. Jesus' response, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. In other words, I'm not going to die until it's time to die. When, when he was told that Herod was going to kill him, remember he said, it's that a prophet shall not perish outside of Jerusalem. I'm going to go here. I'm going to go there. I'm not going to die till the time comes. Basically is what he was saying. But he knew he couldn't throw himself off the temple because it wasn't in his ways. That's when you're tempting God. You and I have an appointment to die. I'm sorry to tell you that. It's one appointment you probably would like to break. But the Bible says it's appointed once for man to die and then comes judgment. So if I go, you know what? I got an appointed time and I'm not going to die until God's done with me. And so I'm going to go skydiving without a parachute. And when I die, God will say, you moved your appointment up. <laughs> right? Because I, te- I tempted God. I, w- I, I, I wasn't walking in his ways. He will keep us, and this was a promise to to Jesus that'll keep us in his ways. So Satan to Jesus brought false doctrine. And Jesus rejected it immediately because he identified the twisting of the doctrine. And that's what happens. No one's gonna come and tell you something that they don't have some scripture to back that they haven't twisted in some way. You've gotta be ready to be able to identify it. The fourth passage I wanna share with you about being bewitched and and Satan and spirits being behind it is 1 John 4, 1. Here, we are told to test the spirits. 1 John 4, 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God. Now, what does it mean, believe every spirit and test the spirits? When's the last time you saw a spirit to test? The last time you heard a false doctrine. Listen to what it goes on to say. It says, test every spirit because many false prophets have gone out into the world. It's a false prophet bringing the false spirit that needs to be tested. Anytime anybody brings you anything new, Christianity is anathema. Now in a hundred and something years, we're gonna wanna join, be seen as Christians, but right now it's anathema. And an angel came to me, test that spirit. Is it the Holy Spirit or is it a deceiving spirit? We need to be faithful in testing it. Otherwise, we're going to go down the same road that the Galatians went down and we're going to believe false doctrine. One more. This is 2 Corinthians 11, 13 through 15. Satan's ministers disguise themselves as ministers of light. You say, I've seen him. I've seen this guy. I went to him. I went to go see him and he was great. I met him. He smiled at me. He looked at me and he, and he taught the word of God. It was great. I thought it was awesome. So Paul says to the Corinthians, For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing that his ministers also translate themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. So they look authentic, act authentic, walk authentic, but they're not. And the only way we can test them is to put them up against rightly dividing the word of God. And, we, and the more we handle God's word correctly, the more we're going to be able to see the nuances that they put into it. So we want to make sure we're not foolish and we're not bewitched because they were foolish and they were bewitched. And because of that, they accepted a false doctrine and Paul's really upset with them. So we go to verse two. We'll go quicker now, by the way. This I only want to learn from you, he says. Now now remember, this is the doctrinal section of the book of Galatians. He's done with the autobiographical, autobiography section. Now he's into the doctoral section. So he does this by asking five questions. This is how he starts it, by asking five questions. This I only want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing of faith? For, for anyone here who would teach that you have to keep the law, did you receive the Spirit by keeping the law or by the work of faith? The next, are you so foolish? Like a time he calls them foolish in a few sentences, by the way. Are you so foolish having begun in the spirit that you are now being made perfect in the flesh? You think that you're going to be saved in the spirit and then keep the law and be made perfect by keeping the law? That's not just wrong. That's foolish. We've already identified foolishness as seeking your own heart and not following God's ways. There is a way that seems right unto a man, but the end thereof is death. The the time of the judges was a time when men did what was right in their own eyes. That's foolishness. And so he calls them foolish again. Then he gives them another question. Have you suffered so many things in vain? If indeed it's in vain. There were sacrifices made. They were under persecution. They were in the Roman Empire. They were being persecuted because they were saying Jesus is Lord, somebody different than Caesar. Have you suffered all of this in vain? If indeed it's in vain. Paul's saying you could still come back. If you stay on this course, it's in vain. He says in verse five, therefore, he who supplies the spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? So again, before the the word of God was written, signs and wonders were used by God in a special way. I'm not saying signs and wonders, God doesn't do them today. I'm not saying that God doesn't heal today because I believe that God does it's just different than it was in the first century before there was the complete word of god that we had in our hand. and so he's asking them, did you see the miracles by the works of the law or by faith? now he gives us an example. after and, and the obvious answer to all of those questions is by the spirit. right? he has five questions. the obvious response to them is by the spirit, by the spirit, by the spirit, by the spirit, by the spirit. He's then going to go on to say, then why are you receiving the law? Why are you living by works? Why do you think you can be saved by something that you do then? That's going to be his response. But before he gets there, he wants to give them an example of real salvation. And so now there's a contrast in this chapter in the next few verses. He says, just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now, just in case you don't have your time frame for the Old Testament, You have Abraham, then you have Isaac, Jacob, the 12 sons of Jacob, Joseph going into slavery, Moses being born into slavery, right? A Levite, right? And then Moses coming and taking them out. So Moses gave the law and Abraham was 450 years before that. If my math is correct, which you can always question my math. You can really question anything I'm saying. I want you to. But my math is not always correct. But some 450 years before the law, Abraham was saved. So if you have to keep the law in order to be saved, how was Abraham saved? You say, well, it was before Christ as well. But he was accredited, it was accounted to him as righteousness. Abraham believed God. It doesn't say Abraham did works, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him as righteousness. Let me read you the text where he believes God. This is early in Abraham's relationship with God. He has just met with Melchizedek. He gave a tithe to Melchizedek and Melchizedek showed up with wine and bread. At least a Christ figure, if not being Christ himself, Melchizedek. And so it says, after these things, the word of the Lord came. This is Genesis 15, one through six. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying, do not be afraid, Abram, I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. What a great promise that is, by the way. And then verse two. But Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me? Seeing I go childless. And the heir of my family is Eleazar of Damascus. He's over 75 years old now. And he's like, I go childless. What are you going to give me? Which is kind of a little like uppity of Abraham. Abram, I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. What are you going to give me? Seeing I go childless. God could have said, boom, that's it. You're done. Then Abram said, look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is an heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him saying, this one shall not be your heir, but one who will come out of your own body will be your heir. Then he brought him outside and said, look now towards the heavens and count the stars if you are able to number them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. And he believed the Lord and it was accounted to him for righteousness. He believed that his descendants were going to be as of the sand of the sea. He believed what God said. And it was accounted to him for righteousness. In verse 7 then, back in Galatians chapter 3, therefore, now he gives this example, Abraham believed God and was accounted in righteousness. That's before the law. Therefore, know that only those that are of faith are sons of Abraham. He could have said, only those who are of works are the sons of Abraham. Only those who are of the law are of the sons of Abraham. Abraham's descendants are the Arab peoples and Israel. That's the descendants of Abraham. But we are his real descendants when we have faith because he is our father of faith. He's the first one to have it. And he says in verse eight, and the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. He now goes back and says way back then, God foreseen that Gentiles were gonna be saved by faith, not by becoming Jewish which is the false teaching and the scriptures foreseen that God would justify the gentiles by faith preach the gospel to Abraham beforehand the gospel was preached to Abraham saying in you all your na- all nations shall be blessed so God told Abraham the gospel that in him in his seed it literally says all nations will be blessed let me read that to you which is Genesis 22:18 and here's what God says to Abraham this is later on now in the life of Abraham Quite a bit of time has passed since 15 when he gave him the promise that he was going to have descendants when he had none. So now he says this, this is Genesis 22, 18. In your seed. Later on in Galatians, Paul's going to say he didn't say seeds as in descendants. He said seed as in singular. In other words, one of your descendants. In your seed or descendant, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Have we not seen that in Christ? Has that not only been fulfilled in Christ and only Christ? Who else in Abraham's seed has blessed all nations? It is only Christ who could have done it. So then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. Now, this is just the beginning of his theological argument about living by faith instead of by the law. We got the rest of this chapter and and so on. But I end this study the same way that I've ended all five of the studies that have preceded, preceded this in Galatians. It is so clear how there could still be people today who say you have to do works, especially of the law today amazes me because he's so clear that people would today say, yeah, you got to keep the law. You got to keep the Sabbath. You got to keep the new moons. You got to keep the festivals. You got to keep the kosher law in order to really love Jesus, in order to really be saved. It just amazes me how they could still teach it when the Bible is so incredibly clear, don't let people put you under bondage. Don't follow the deception of spirits, demonic spirits, but follow the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Because God's given us everything we need in his word. I'll give you one last quote and we'll be done. 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17. All scripture is given by the inspiration of God is profitable for reproof, for correction, for doctrine, that the man of God would be thoroughly equipped, lacking in nothing. You don't need anything the watchtower gives you. You don't need anything that Joseph Smith gave the world. You don't need anything that any false teacher anywhere would bring. It will bring you into destruction to follow the deceiving spirits and false doctrines stand with me would you and let's pray father thank you so much that you are so serious about the topic of false doctrines and that in the latter days there's going to be doctrines of demons that are going to cause people to fall from the faith and we believe we're living in those latter days and when we see people uh, uh, deconstructing their faith we believe we're seeing the fulfillment of that so lord we pray now that you would help us to hang on to the truth to know the word of god to not be deceived to not give in to deceptive spirits or the doctrines of demons, but to know your word and your truth and to test the spirits behind anything that's said. Anyone that brings anything that's different, test the spirits behind it. We thank you that you've given us that direction. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen.